Wow, this is unusual, but wonderful to be in this format. Can you give me a thumbs up if you can hear me? I just want to make sure before I give a sermon. Okay, great. Excellent. <laughs> so, good morning, Wellspring family. It's great to be with you as we wrap up our series of Cruciformed. A few weeks ago, I went to a recycling center where I wanted to redeem some of my cans and bottles, you know, the usual. And at this recycling center that shall not be named, one of the workers there gave me a particularly difficult time, um, making it hard for me to redeem some of the containers. And there was no problem with the cans. The cans were all fine. It was actually the bottles, uh, glass and plastic that were, in dispute, I guess you could say, because they were saying that some of my bottles did not qualify, even though I could have sworn that they had that five cent high five label on them, you know, that you probably have seen before if you're familiar with the the high five recycling program. And the problem was that the items no longer had the label on them. So I could not prove that they qualified. So it was, it was my word against theirs. And so we were in a little bit of a debate about whether these items could be redeemed. And my basic position was, yes, they can. And their position was, no, they can't be redeemed. And in the end, the recycling center won and I lost despite my attempt to make a case for redemption of these uh, few glass bottles and plastic bottles that I thought for sure qualified for me to get my nickel. And they went into the trash. I missed out on something like 35 cents because I think there were seven of them that were uh, disqualified, 35 cents. And as I drove out of the parking lot, I felt surprisingly frustrated, flustered, angry. I knew it was only a difference of 35 cents, which I can afford. Um, It's not that much to me. And yet, why was I so upset? You know, it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the time I spent driving there or waiting in line. I still collected a few dollars for the you know, cans and bottles that were redeemable. And actually I had still achieved my main goal for driving there, which if you're wondering, was not to save the environment, although I might like to pretend that was my main reason. The real reason was to declutter some space near our washing machine. (laughs) And I had achieved that. I had created some more elbow room and gotten rid of these big bulky bags of cans and bottles that had been sitting there for months. So mission accomplished. Why was I so upset? And having had a few weeks to think about it and reflect on it, I think I was so upset because my expectations were not met. It was something to do with my expectations for what would happen after I had done the effort of saving and gathering and categorizing and 
finding space for these recyclables and then researching when the different centers were open and load, loading these noisy bags of cans into the trunk and driving there, standing in line. I did all of this with a strong expectation that they would take all the items off my hands, give me five cents for each one. And I expected that each one would be redeemed for a promised reward, even if that reward was just a nickel. And so when that didn't happen, my fragile sense of fairness and integrity uh, was thrown off balance because the redemption process did not work the way that I assumed it would. It turned out that I had some unexamined assumptions about how redemption happens. Now, one definition of this word, redemption, is the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment. And as you probably know by now, this is not just a recycling word, it's also a Bible word, a church word, a Jesus word, redemption, right? So you see where this is going. You almost forgot this was a sermon, right? Well, it's worth asking, right, about the cross and redemption and how it really works. What are your expectations or assumptions about the process? And what if, as we look deeper into the story of Jesus, on the cross, what if some of those expectations and assumptions turn out to be not quite uh, what we find and they don't work out the way that you thought they did? Today, we are in our final week of Cruciform, Change and Challenge by uh, the Cross of Jesus. And we've been digging deep into what it means to be changed and challenged using Fleming Rutledge's very thick book as a guide and a structure. Each message of this series has given us a closer look at one particular facet of the cross, whether it was the gravity of sin or the godlessness of the cross, the blood sacrifice aspect, the Passover element, the victory of Christ, even the descent into hell that Jesus made. And so those are just a few of the angles and topics that we've covered in this series. And I love the diversity, not only of the topics, but of our preaching team. Um, we've had three different women and, and three different men share from a variety of vantage points and perspectives of what it means to be changed and challenged as we ask deeper questions and as we find thicker answers. So if you missed any of these messages, you can find them both on our website, wellspringhawaii.org, or you can go to our YouTube channel, Wellspring Covenant Church Hawaii. And I would encourage you to look at one that uh, catches your eye and explore more deeply what it means, because there are so many different angles to this. And while I mentioned the diversity, I should also mention the unity of our preaching team and how God has worked through us across this series so that some key themes have really emerged 
um, that have come through, I think, in every sermon. And I wanted to highlight a few of these because it is our last week in the series. You picked a good day to be here because I just wanted to highlight three key themes that have come up repeatedly. And these are not the main points of the sermon. These are just bonus. They're already filled in. If you have your outline, these are not the fill in the blanks. These are just already filled in. If you have your notes, they're there. But I'll I'll put them on the screen anyways. If uh, my screen works, there we go. First one is God doesn't inflict suffering. God bears suffering. That has come through in a variety of ways and a variety of messages. The second one is God isn't an abuser. God identifies with the abused. That has also been a key theme for us. And third, the cross doesn't change God. The cross changes us. So if you don't get anything else from this series, these are some key themes to take with you. And that's why I already filled them in on your outline. So you don't even have to listen to the rest of this message. If you want to go, you can. Because <laughs> I'm just giving one more message on this really, really important subject that takes a lot of time to dig into. And over these past 11 weeks or so, however long it's been, these are some of the key things that I think we can sit with and take away about God, about suffering, about whether God changes and how we are changed and challenged by the cross. Today's sermon, if you're still here, is Ransom and Redemption, Understanding the Price Jesus Paid. We're going to be looking at four different scriptures that help us get into these notions of redemption and ransom. And again, this is all in your notes. The scriptures are printed out, are, they're, they're included there, so you don't have to look them up if you already have the PDF. So, today's message we are going to be looking at not only what this ransom is, but what it is not. Because as you follow along, you might discover, like I did when I went to the recycling center, you might discover that you have some unexamined assumptions about how the process of redemption works. And that's okay, because today, together, we are going to be looking more closely at scriptures like this one. Mark. Chapter 10 is our first one, verse 44 and 45. This is taking place just for context where Jesus is responding to two of his disciples, James and John. And James and John are giving, they are speaking with Jesus, making a very sizable request. And they ask Jesus if they can sit on his right and on his left when Jesus sits on his glorious throne. And Jesus tells them, you don't know what you're asking. He tells them that their underlying assumptions are off base regarding what kind of king that Jesus is, what kind of kingdom this is, and what kind of throne he will have. And so to emphasize his point even more, showing the contrast between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God, Jesus says this, he says, whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the son of man, which means king, son of man is like a royal term, even a king like the son of man came to be served, uh, not to be served. See, even I'm getting it wrong. 
came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life, here's that word, ransom for many. And there's other scriptures that talk about this ransom as well, but this is, this is the first one we're going to be looking at. Why is it a ransom for many? And if Jesus paid this ransom to set us free, have you ever wondered how that ransom works? Because I can think of some tricky things that we would have to answer if it's really the type of ransom we're thinking of. You know, when I think of a ransom, I think of a kidnapping situation or a hostage situation where there's a kidnapper who demands money in order for the hostages to be released. And if that's what Jesus did, then who is the kidnapper? Who kidnapped humanity that Jesus has to pay this ransom to? Was it the devil? Um, you know, it's true that the devil wants to kidnap us in a certain sense and is out to destroy us and, um, you know, extort from God. On the other hand, there is a problem with the devil being the kidnapper in this analogy because it assumes that if there's a ransom being paid to the devil, that there's some kind of negotiation happening where God has to pay off Satan or bribe Satan to get humanity back. And this conflicts quite a bit with how we see Jesus interacting with the devil in the wilderness scene where he's tempted. If you recall, Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. He doesn't negotiate at all. Jesus resists the devil completely and does not try to compromise with what uh, Satan is tempting him with. He tells the devil to leave. That's what happens. There's no negotiation. He, he defeats Satan in that encounter. So there are some challenges if we think that the ransom is paid to the devil. Jesus wasn't giving in to coercion. He went to the cross willingly. He gave his consent to go. Okay, so then we come to an option that is more commonly discussed today, which is that the ransom is paid to God. And so is that a possibility? Because if that's the case, then there's also some challenges with that, because why would God the Father need to be appeased or placated by God the Son? They're in the Trinity. They're in the same family, the same being. And why would they be in conflict with one another where one of them wants to blast humanity, the other one wants to protect humanity? So they have this arrangement where the father blasts the son instead. Hmm. What is this ransom idea even about? So hold that thought because we're going to pause and take a poll real quick. And because of our, our technology setup here, I can't really see too many of you, but oops, let's go back. But raise your virtual hand or your hand on camera if you want to, if you have ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie. Two Truths and a Lie. Has anyone ever done that? Yeah, most of us, right? Now, have you ever played the version where you add another truth and there's three truths and a lie? 
<laughs> Raise your hand if you played three truths and a lie. I'm just making this up. There's no three truths and a lie. It doesn't have the same ring to it. Um, that's a little bit what we're going to be doing in this next section. In fact, I'm flipping it a little bit more so that it's actually one lie and three truths, which definitely does not have the same ring as two truths and a lie. But uh, that's how the message turned out. So we're going to start with one thing that the price Jesus paid is not. So it's kind of like the lie. And then we're going to look at three things that the price is. So one thing it's not three things that it is. And this is all in your worship notes. And if you see the second column there at the top, there's a question, what price did Jesus pay on the cross? Because we see in many places, in the New Testament mention of a price being paid, right? So what is that price? And what is not? What is it not? What is it and what it's not? So first, let's start with what it's not. And this is in your notes, the first point. One thing it's not, the price of redemption is not a payment made to God, especially not from child to parent. That's what it's not. It's not a payment made to God. And it's certainly not something that God the Son pays to God the Father. As if God the Father is out for human blood, and instead of going after human blood, he goes after his son's blood. That's what we would be saying if it's, if it's paid to the father. It would be like an abusive parent who is inflicting suffering, even death, on their own child. We don't see that picture of God in Christ or scripture, where God is so bloodthirsty that Jesus, in order to appease his own father has to die on a cross. And that's the only way to stop God from being so angry and bloodthirsty. Because remember, remember, we have these themes, right? From our series, God doesn't inflict suffering. God bears suffering. God isn't an abuser. God identifies with the abused. And the cross doesn't change God. The cross changes us. So if we have this view of the cross where somehow Jesus is doing something that changes God from being bloodthirsty to being gracious, then that's not what we've been looking at. That's not what we find in scripture. We don't find a God who wants to inflict suffering. We find a God who wants to bear it and identify with those who are suffering. So of all the things that Jesus accomplished, on the cross, paying a ransom to a bloodthirsty God is not one of them. God does not need a crucifixion to love us. It wasn't like God wanted to love us, couldn't, and then because of this crucifixion, now God can love us. God doesn't demand a violent ransom in order to let us go free as if he holds us prisoner. That's one thing that this price is not. So, Let's turn now to what the price is, because now we're going to the three truths. And the first one in your notes is the price was costly. The price was costly. The gravity of sin is matched with the gravity of God's response. One of the early messages in this series was Pastor Rebecca preaching on 
how severe this issue of sin is individually, collectively, historically. It's a serious concern and it prompts a serious response, a costly response from God. There are some things in life that cost a lot, even if you don't pay anyone. This here is Chris Mikich, and he's a 21-year-old who last year, November 2020, he became the first person ever with Down syndrome to complete a full Ironman triathlon, which is a race that consists of, get this, a 2.4-mile swim, followed by a 112-mile bike ride, followed by a marathon run of 26.2 miles. And he did this all in under 17 hours, first ever. And last month, I was, I was watching on TV when he got this award at the ESPYs called the Jimmy V Award for Perseverance. And as he was accepting the award, um, they, they had it on subtitles so that everyone could understand his words. This is part of what he said in his acceptance speech. He said, people ask, how did I overcome so many obstacles? Easy. I just got 1% better every day, just like it says on his shirt, 1% better. Three years ago, he says, I was 18, overweight, out of shape, excluded, and isolated. But my dream was to be like you, to be included, to be independent, and to marry an amazing woman like my mom. And earlier in the speech, uh, he had said, he's, he's quite a character, actually. He had said earlier in the speech, as you can see, ladies, I'm adorable, single, and available. <laughs> what a character. And so in order for Chris to prepare for this triathlon, he had to make sacrifices that cost him something. It cost him time. It cost him effort. He had to change his diet and wake up early to train. And then during the race itself, he fell off his bike at one point. And then at another point, when he was at a nutrition stop, he was attacked by ants. And yet, with all these obstacles, you can see why he got the award for perseverance. He pushed through to finish this competition. And so his accomplishment came at a physical cost, a mental cost to himself. And this cost can't be quantified in dollars or a payment that he made to someone else, even if he got some help. The cost is so much more than that, right? A cost that he paid in order to accomplish this achievement. And in a similar way, Jesus did not have to pay God the Father in order to save humanity from sin. It still came at a great cost, a cost that's much greater than silver and gold. In 1 Peter 1.18, this is our second scripture, it says this about the cost. For you know that God paid a ransom, there's that word again, to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was 
not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. The price is costly. So reflect on that sometime this week with your small group or on your own. What are the challenges or responsibilities that have been costly for you? Even if that cost wasn't literally paid to someone. Maybe you didn't do a triathlon, but there's other things that have cost you something. What was the price of that? Feel free to, feel free to use that later on in, in your small groups. Okay, so the first thing we see is it's costly. The second thing we see about the price Jesus paid is that it's paid with his blood. The price is paid with the blood of Jesus and God gives of his own self to purchase our freedom. As a kid, many memories that stay with us are the ones that involve blood. <laughs> the time we had to get stitches, uh, the time that you lost your first tooth and the blood flowed from your mouth. And parents often remember those moments too when their kids bled for some reason or another, a bloody nose, a bloody lip, a scrape, a scab. And as we get older, we still pay attention quite a bit to blood. If we can see it, especially, uh, whether it's when we cut ourselves accidentally while shaving or when you are having your blood drawn or your checkup or whether you're donating blood or even getting a tattoo. There are situations where there is something on the line with that interaction where you see the blood. There's power in that blood. That blood is 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 worth something of you and depending on the situation that that blood can be the difference between life and death i'm curious you know when was the last time your blood was visible to someone else and if you take out you know people who examine your blood um, when, when was the last time someone actually saw, saw you bleed? That was probably a, a significant moment. And the same thing is true for Jesus. Ephesians 1, 7 talks about this. He, God, God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Notice how God is not receiving the payment. God is the one doing the purchasing. God is the one to whom it costs something because of his kindness and grace. He is ransoming, ransoming us, freeing us, purchasing us with the blood of Jesus. The Father and Son are working together as a trinity with the Spirit to redeem and restore it's not the case of the son paying the father. It's the case of the father, the son and spirit working together for the renewal of all things. 
you can reflect on it this way. How does it feel to know that Jesus bled not because God was out for blood, but because the world can be a bloodthirsty place? We mentioned it early in the service in Afghanistan. We mentioned 9-11. You know, there are countless examples of the bloodthirstiness of our planet and how wrong things have gone since God created us. And God isn't the one who's out for blood, but humanity often is. The powers of this world often are. They're easily threatened. And in order to maintain a situation that benefits them, they're out for blood. The same was true in Jesus' day. Jesus was a threat to the status quo and the establishment. So they were out for his blood. And as you think about being set free by this, by this ransom that costs God something, what comes to mind? Knowing that it wasn't God's bloodthirstiness. It was something about our brokenness as a planet that led God to step in and to literally get his skin in the game. That's your second reflection question. So now we come to our third and final truth about the price Jesus paid. And this one's a little bit more, more obvious, but just a friendly reminder. Okay, so number one, it's costly. Number two, it's paid with his blood. And number three, it's a metaphor. The price is a metaphor. As I said earlier, this series has covered many different angles and pictures and images and metaphors to help us understand the depth and complexity of something that is described over and over in the New Testament, the death of Jesus and what it means and how it changes us, how it challenges us. It's not something you can just summarize in a sermon or even a sermon series, which is why we need Lots of different metaphors, lots of different voices, lots of different books of the Bible that take us on a journey to see that in different ways. So what this metaphor does, this metaphor of a price, is it's using figurative language to show that the victory has come at a great cost. It's not trying to show that there was some kind of literal payment that was made to anyone any more than the great cost for Chris Nickich to finish the triathlon was about him paying somebody. It's about the cost and what it took to redeem and ransom us. Now, because this metaphor uh, conveys this, we see that Jesus offered himself in a way that was incomparable, a victory that was won at the highest cost, not a payment to the devil or to God the Father or anyone else. The real point of all this is that God values you. God values us. God values Wellspring. God values who you value. God values this planet. When God saved you through Jesus, God wasn't purchasing you from the devil or from the clutches of an angry God. You belong to God all along. 
it wasn't that you did not belong to God. It was that God was changing you and challenging you and challenging us by showing us that we somehow are worth this price. We are worth the cost of a high price like this. That is a challenge that requires change for us to believe sometimes that we are worth it. First Corinthians in our final scripture says this, first Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? There's another metaphor. Who lives in you and was given to you by God. The spirit lives in us and was given to us by God. So you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. And therefore you must honor God with your body. You were bought with a high, high price. And remember, God is not the one inflicting suffering. God is the one bearing suffering. God is not the one abusing. God is identifying with the abused. And God is not the one who's changing. The cross doesn't change God. The cross changes us. And part of that change involves seeing ourselves as beloved, seeing ourselves as treasured and worth saving. So to reflect, when do you find it hard to be kind to yourself? When are you critical and down on who you are, ashamed of who you are? What is it that makes that hard? And in light of that, given how much God values you, what step can you take this week to treat yourself as the beloved, valued, and treasured person that you are? The cross is such good news. It's deeply good news because it reveals a God, as we sang about, the overwhelming love of God, a God who will do whatever it takes to set us free from the world's patterns of bloodthirstiness and revenge and tit for tat and hatred, these cycles of sin that over and over keep us from being in touch with ourselves, with one another, with God, with what really matters, this sin that gets in the way of our relationship of love with the Trinity. That's what God is doing. He's setting us free from those patterns that keep us away from the love of the Trinity. And instead, God makes a way for us to reconnect and to find who we are as our true selves, beloved and treasured enough that God would die for us. There's not an abusive bone in God's body. There's not an abusive bone in God's body. God says no to every type of abuse. He's not out for blood or death or revenge. That's how the kingdoms of this world operate. So sometimes we think that's how God operates because we've seen that so much with, you know, whoever has the power to do wrong. That's not what God does with his power. The empires of this world say somebody has to pay. And God says, actually, Instead, I will step in the way and show you something that will change history, 
by coming in the form of Christ and going to the cross, an innocent human being without violence, going to his death, a costly price was paid. Not because he's endorsing some kind of messed up notion of punishment or purity, but because God desires to redeem and restore and ransom all creation through the cross. And so friends, let us be changed by this. Let us be challenged by this. Let the love of God sink into us so deeply that we believe that we are worth it. Our our community is worth it. Our church is worth it. And this planet is worth saving. We are valued. We are treasured. And it's because of the price that Jesus paid that we can see that more clearly. Do you see it a little better? Do you believe that you're actually beloved and treasured by this God? Let's pray. Lord, help us to see what you see. Help us to see the love and grace and cost of your love. And help us, Lord, through this pandemic, through this season of so many challenges, locally, globally, individually, help us to see that you are with us and that you are bearing the pain with us. You are identifying with the abuse um, that people are enduring. You remain the same from the beginning. You are love, you are peace, you are justice. And so we want to be changed to be more like you rather than trying to change you to be more like us. Help us to be continually challenged and changed in a cruciform way, even as this series continues, Lord, so that we might love you, love our neighbor, and love your creation. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.